0: Welcome to the counselors of real estate top 10 in 10 podcast series in these 10 minute episodes we'll discuss one of the prevailing 2022 2023 top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm Bill McCarthy CRE 2023 global chair of the counselors of real estate and president of WPJ McCarthy and company in Burnaby British Columbia, Canada. Counselors of real estate are trusted advisors finding solutions to complex real estate challenges. Experienced, innovative, and credentialed problem solvers, counselors reside in 21 countries, practice in many more, and offer expertise in 60 real estate disciplines across all asset classes. Each has earned a prestigious CRE designation. Our guest for this episode is David Waite, CRE. David is a partner in the Los Angeles office of Cox Castle Nicholson LLP. He has practiced land use and environmental law for more than 30 years. David is recognized as one of Southern California's leading entitlement lawyers and is a fellow of the American College of Real Estate Lawyers. David authored the narrative supporting the number eight issue on this year's compilation of the top 10 issues affecting real estate, regulatory uncertainty. To review all issues in this year's report, visit CRE.org slash top 10.
1: Welcome, David. Well, good morning, Bill, and it's wonderful to be with you today and uh, look forward to our conversation. Thank you.
0: We'll start with a couple questions, and the first one is this. The current regulatory environment at all levels of government increasingly lacks the desired clarity, stability, and predictability that is important to real estate developers, owners and operators. Why is that?
1: You know, I think uh, the obvious answer, uh, certainly uh, if you kind of follow the political environment at the federal, state and local level is that invariably with every new administration, it seems like we have a proliferation of new regulations and, and that's true. Uh, we certainly have seen that at the federal level. Uh, where the Biden administration has uh, taken upon itself uh, to unwind some of the regulatory reforms of the Trump administration and vice versa. So we have this sort of seesawing effect uh, of changes at the federal level when administrations change and their uh, priorities and policies are changing and that translates into uh, new and changing regulations. And depending upon which side of the coin you're on, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, But I think more importantly, Bill, the 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 proliferation of regulations that occurs at the administrative level of the federal government just seems like it continues to grow and proliferate really regardless of the administration. We just seem to have more and more regulations being adopted administratively by agencies, whether it's uh, EPA uh, or other agencies who are trying to regulate environmental impacts. uh, of development, uh, regulating water and air and the like, all of which you know, are very good things. But uh, those uh, changes tend to happen regardless of administration. We just see the growth of the federal government. And then all you need to do is pick up uh, the CFR, the Code of Federal Regulations, and you can just see how, how it has grown over the years. So at the federal level, we just continue to see this proliferation of regulations that continues to grow and develop. And I don't see that changing uh, over time. Um, Clearly, a couple of recent examples that I think are are good ones. The Biden administration's uh, commitment to addressing climate change is one area that I think the federal government is going to continue to proliferate regulations. We have uh, new energy policies and priorities coming out of Washington, D.C. that are creating new opportunities uh, for green and renewable energy, uh, participating in uh, carbon credit banking and the like, those are all, I think, uh, those regulations and incentives are all going to continue to uh, to proliferate as time goes on.
0: Follow-up question. Um, you practice law in California. Can you give us an example of two of the new measures and regulations that are impacting land use in the Golden State?
1: Yeah, there, there, are, there are actually many, but I'll focus on, on, a, on a couple, Bill, that I think are really important. Um, in California, uh, the mandate at the state level is all about creating more housing, and we are really on a path to creating not only market rate housing, uh, but more affordable housing at all levels of affordability. And so what we are seeing in California is, frankly, an emerging conflict between the state and local governments as it relates to creating more incentives uh, for housing development. And the way that that's taken shape in California, it's, it's quite prolific. Uh, we have everything from SB9 in California, which is uh, really effectively uh, eviscerating single-family zoning by allowing Uh, lot splits and duplexes to be built on single family, uh, what was previously single family um, R1 zoning. So now we can, you can do a lot split and you can create a a duplex on each of the new lots. So effectively you can now get four housing units on what was previously one single family uh, home. That is creating some real conflict between local governments and the state where local governments are saying, hey, you are getting into the business of regulating zoning at the local level and that's creating uh conflict uh at the local level the other big initiative bill that we're seeing here in california is uh cities are now required to update their housing elements which are part of their general plans and as part of that they do what's called a regional housing needs assessment and there are very clear state targets that every local government is to achieve in terms of creating more housing We're recently seeing, since October of this year, uh, cities that are out of compliance with updating their housing element. And what that means, if they're out of compliance, we're now seeing a lot of developers in the development community taking advantage of what's called the builder's remedy, which allows a builder to come into a city that's not in compliance with its housing element update and file an application for uh, more development without any zoning in place because the city is out of compliance with its housing element. There effectively is no zoning. So we're seeing now in cities like Santa Monica, uh, we've seen uh, builders going in and exercising the builder's remedy to create more dense urban housing in areas that were previously likely not going to get local political support for that type of development. That is only going to continue as time goes on. In Southern California, we have many cities who are still out of compliance with their housing elements. In Northern California, that mandate will occur shortly after the first of the year, and many of those cities will be out of compliance with their housing element, and we'll see the development community using the builder's remedy to come in and and request approvals uh, for projects that otherwise would not comply with uh, zoning restrictions. So that's, that's a very new and emerging area here in California. I think
0: that's interesting, David, and I think our listeners will hear a lot of what you've just said, maybe applicable to their own backyard. I'm up in Vancouver, and there seems to be um, when a zoning policy change and as you as you mentioned, regulatory changing all the way down through the levels of government, there seems to be a contagion where it spreads to other cities and other regions and we're having those same debates right now in, in Metro Vancouver. Um, follow up and, and last question for you when, and this is based upon your 30 years of experience in, in the industry, in particular law and um, land use and environmental law, you mentioned that regulations and uh, regulatory uncertainty just continues to grow, regardless, and this is a trend that doesn't seem to be stopping. Do we as professional real estate practitioners. Do a good enough job in terms of lobbying or protecting our interests, or at least having our voices heard at the discussion table? And if not, what, or even if we do it to some degree, what can we do better to make sure that our perspectives are heard and that people possibly in government levels realize there's consequences, uh, both intended and otherwise, with regards to policy
1: changes? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, you know, the way I, I liken the changes that are occurring at all levels of government, we're we're moving away from uh, more of a command and control regulatory environment to more of of an incentive-based regulatory environment where there are certain, if you will, carrots and sticks that are offered, which is to say we're trying to incentivize a particular type of growth or development in a particular area. We wanna incentivize the private sector in a way that uh, enhances what the legislative priority and the legislative policy is. And so this example that I gave in California with respect to housing, the whole idea is to incentivize uh, the development community to build more housing at all levels. And the way you do that is through a series of incentives that removes other regulatory barriers. So in California, we have this uh, uh, really onerous environmental statute called the California Environmental Quality Act. Well, under the new housing regulations that are being adopted, you can effectively streamline your application and your entitlement process and not have to be required to comply with the California Environmental Quality Act because the permits that you are seeking are purely ministerial. So that's a way, and I think a really good example of where the state has said, look, what we want to do is incentivize a certain type of development. We don't do that by purely commanding and controlling it. What we're trying to do is incentivize the development community. So I think for our CRE members, The goal here and the message is make sure that we are having a voice in terms of the incentives that the private sector can respond to in a way that's meaningful in responding to legislation and promoting legislation that creates those incentives rather than purely command and control. It's an incentive-based legislative environment that I think is creating more and more opportunity and where the private sector and the government can frankly work together toward mutual solutions.
0: That's great advice to both the council members and also the real estate profession as a whole. Thank you, David. We are grateful for your knowledge and contributions to this year's report, the proliferation of new regulations at all levels of government that will impact the real estate industry remains a near certainty for the indefinite future. Join us next time for another discussion on one of the top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm Bill McCarthy. On behalf of the counselors of real estate, Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Top 10 in 10. Goodbye.